Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelly Juneja. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care and the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. And boy, has that been more true for the exceptional year of 2020 we've had. Our goal in this series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and other questions that are top of your mind. And with that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, Managing Partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, welcome. Hi, Shelley. Happy to be here. Dan, here we are in December 2020, and what a year it has been. COVID pandemic has led to sweeping changes on who receives care, how they access care, and how healthcare organizations come together with doctors, hospitals, insurance company, and even the community resources to meet the complex need for accelerated care. Recently, I was reflecting on how we've seen healthcare organizations pivot to meet the need created by the pandemic, deal with provider burnout, and maintain financial solvency in this time. Your thoughts? Well, reflecting back on on the year so far, healthcare in general um, had faced a lot of challenges before COVID. And then with COVID, it's created so much of a disruptive change that provider organizations have really had to think about how they needed to deliver care differently. As you had mentioned, everything from access to working Mm -hmm. with physicians, understanding how they need to financially structure themselves while really meeting the needs and and really the ever-changing needs of the patients. It's definitely created a whole new structure, a whole new challenge, whole new opportunity as well for provider organizations. Absolutely. And, you know, as we look back at 2020, um, many new and interesting trends have emerged. To name a few, telemedicine. That got accelerated by decades to meet the need for virtual and safe care. Um, Care team got expanded with non-physicians, nurses, physician assistants, who took on a much more active role on the front lines in providing care, both in person or virtual, and I almost feel that a new era of healthcare preparedness was ushered in where healthcare organizations, physicians, payers, even consumers had to pivot on how to access care, how the care is provided and reimbursed, and finally, how do we sustain together as this evolving healthcare system? Well, I'll tell you, if there's one positive that has come out of all the challenges that we've had with COVID, it's the fact that telemedicine and this expanded opportunities for patient access has really emerged as the new normal. And that's really exciting. Healthcare industry has really struggled with incorporating telehealth, has struggled with different aspects of care management. And with COVID, we were forced to do that. With COVID, we were forced to be able to think about different ways of interacting with patients. Telemedicine has really emerged as that tool, as that structure to really reach out and to connect better with patients. Absolutely. You know, Dan, I was reflecting on this time last year, we were actually recording um, the trends we anticipate 
or in 2020. And I was chuckling on what we saw coming down the pipeline and then the COVID happened and how we all had to pivot. Um, with the changing landscape, even we at Lumina also pivoted to focus our podcast to bring forth information on the new challenges the industry was facing and provided insights on how to cope with the pandemic and sustain during this challenging time. And as we look at the content we have produced this year and kept our focus on, Three key episodes come to my mind that capture the key themes that emerged in this year. The first one, talking about the impact of COVID-19 on our community. Do you remember that episode with Dr. Hill? Yeah, Dr. Hill did a real nice job. You know, as the medical director of St. Tammany Health System down in, in Louisiana, uh, just outside of New Orleans, they saw a pretty big surge in March. And Dr. Hill, as an infectious disease expert, did a fantastic job of looking at the data, of understanding how to take that data and reach out to the community and to their provider partners as a means of creating a real team approach to solve the problem. They realized early on that they could not do it themselves. And one of the things that really caught my attention about that episode, Shelley, was the fact that his outreach to the community, that they really put in community-based solutions to really solve and manage the COVID problem, that really produced real results. I think a lot of that learning, we can actually incorporate into our care models today as we're starting to see a resurgent of a lot of the COVID activities. Maybe we can listen to that episode for a few minutes. So our nursing home and assisted living facilities really were very vulnerable and we saw this early on. Uh, we had the uh, advantage of seeing what was going on in other places of the country, such as Seattle and in the Northeast, where they had some nursing home outbreaks very early. We had a nursing home outbreak in the um, on the South Shore at a facility uh, in New Orleans, and we saw that. That was right after Mardi Gras, which was probably the single big biggest event that really exploded the number of COVID cases in our area in the spring. We immediately started having daily conversations with our nursing homes in the area and gave them access to all of our experts in infectious diseases, in pulmonary critical care, in how to set up environmental care in the, in the area, and how to deal with the workforce that may bring the COVID into the nursing home or assisted care facility. And we really worked with them to answer their questions. I have to say at the time, they were really disadvantaged because we did not have testing early on. They did not have the necessary PPE that they needed, although that was taken care of relatively quickly. But they did come to the table and we started working with them as a community. And I think that's the important thing is that so many things happen outside of the four walls of the hospital and you really have to get involved with the community, because that's going to affect your hospital in any type of pandemic. You've got to get out in front of community leaders. You have to get out to the population at large, but in particular, the most vulnerable population. And that's going to be our nursing home and assisted care patients that live in close quarters. Many of them have issues with wandering from room to room. 
because of the dementia issue in these facilities. They really did have a struggle on their hands, but we worked with them and we continue to work with them today. We have weekly phone calls with them to address their concerns. We have a general meeting with them every week and then we we have individual phone calls with them because sometimes they have sensitive issues to discuss. You know, one of the key areas that you touched on was the collaboration with the community. You know, as I was talking to folks around the country, and, you know, I have a a couple of clients that are in the Northeast, and, of course, you know, they've gotten – they were hit pretty hard with a lot of the COVID patients. The initial thought was that this was really – an issue that the hospitals needed to resolve. So there was a lot of pressure on the hospitals to make sure they expanded the beds, take care of uh, the patients, begin to identify these patients and quickly, quickly treat. But I think as we start to reflect on what had occurred last spring, if we're going to be successful in the fall in managing this, this has to be a collaborative effort with the community, with the employers, with the nursing homes, like you said, and even with the schools, right, to really get in front of this and solve this issue. Have you had many conversations with, say, the communities or even the county board of health in your area? Yes, I have. Um, So we have been very active, and it really is a team effort. Uh, We have several people. I have a very good infection prevention staff here. We have very good medical leadership here and nursing leadership, and our C-suite has been very supportive. We do go out into the community. Um, We've talked, we've spoken with many of the community leaders. As you said, the schools are certainly a concern, and we've reached out to them and talked to them. We've reached out to the fire districts because they have their own particular issues with with folks that are cohorting in a very small space, and you only need one case of COVID and you basically could wipe out a fire district immediately due to COVID. Same thing with with the police and and, uh, and our healthcare services outside of the hospital. So it really is important to um, really sit down and look at the particular needs of each of those um, groups and deal with their situation. The school situation is certainly going to be a challenge, um, going forward, we're having a lot of meetings with schools. I know the CDC guidelines are coming out. Um, and this is going to be a very fluid situation. And I think unlike a lot of things that we think about in life, you know, you think that you could write down the rules and this is the way it's going to be. This is a, this thing changes from day to day and really minute to minute. And you have to be adjustable. You've got to take the information that is available and it continues to evolve. And as an information evolves and as the situation evolves in the community, we've got to step up and be able to be nimble and adjust to what is going on in the needs of the community. Yeah, I agree. And really focus on the environmental preparation of how we need to live with the pandemic, frankly. And I can't help but think that, you know, if any employee, for instance, tests positive for COVID-19, which, you know, many are going to, you know, obviously we're going to want to care for that patient, but there's also other questions that the employers are going to have, right? So, you know, for instance, what do I need to do to, to better protect my office, to pr- better protect, you know, my employees, um, you know, in the future? What type of cleaning do we have to do? You know, that type of environmental preparation, I think, is is really important to not just, 
you know, protect employees who maybe you don't have it yet, but really to instill a sense of confidence with the public, especially if those particular businesses have a have a public facing front and are really, you know, for instance, you know, restaurants and so forth that are, are are selling directly to the public, you have to instill that sense of confidence. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. Um, and it really is important that um, you really do promote a sense of confidence. We saw that in the hospital early on. Basically, patients stayed away from the hospital, and it was to their detriment because we had a lot of sick patients. A lot of things happened out in the community, and then they came in later on. I don't think we've yet seen what's happened in our community, not as a direct result of the COVID infection, but as a result of people staying away from the hospital because they thought it wasn't safe. And so we've been able to try to do the same thing. We instill the fact that we really have a dual role here. We've got to keep our patients that don't have COVID safe while taking care of COVID patients. And you're right. This is nothing. This is something that's going to be with us for a while. There is no magic bullet. Even when the vaccine comes out, whenever that may be in the, in the near future, hopefully, this is still going to be with us for the next 6, 12, or even 18 months. I, I don't know. But we really do have to work to continue to exist with the pandemic and serve our customers. And we've got to do that with employers, too. So the two big things that you, you, you really focused on are safety of the workforce, because that's, that's vitally important. If you don't have your workforce, you're not going to have a business. And the second thing is instilling confidence in the customers that come in to the workforce that they're going to be safe. And that, that is really going to be paramount. So we've worked with them. One of the things that, that people forget about is air handling systems. And we have some great work that we've done in the hospital that we're able to bring out to the community on placing UV lights into the HVAC system, putting in the proper filters into the HVAC system. Um, working with companies to um, process fresh air when possible, working with um, restaurants and um, and some of the other community settings on outdoor settings, even when it's 99 or 100 degrees outside. If you put the misters right and the fans right and things right, you can environmentally control this so that people aren't too uncomfortable sitting outside. And so there's a lot of things that we can do to work with facilities and give them the confidence to move forward. And the other thing I'll say is you have to be able to give them the opportunity to call you when something happens so you can talk through a situation. Because even though there, is, there are guidelines out there, I guarantee you when, as soon as you put out guidelines, you'll find a situation that falls in the cracks or doesn't really meet the guidelines and somebody's going to want to talk. Shelly, that was really good. I really appreciated hearing that again from Dr. Hill. You know, one of the key things that he had mentioned in his episode was how he connected with the schools, how he connected with the employers, and really redefining sort of the customer approach related to providing this care. And, you know, one of the things I think that is often taken for granted, at least it was early on, was that patients were really scared about COVID. And that one of the things that they focused on was building that trust with their patients, but making sure that trust transcended into the employee population, the school districts, 
um, the community at large to really be able to handle and manage a lot of the COVID activities. Absolutely. You know, Jan, that, that's sort of, to me, the silver lining in the challenges we've had this year. It's been years you and I have been working on this model of consumer-centered healthcare, where it's not just about, you know, treating the illness within the walls of hospitals, but it's really bringing together the resources from the community to manage the health that happens outside, which is 80% of it. And I think in some ways, the way Dr. Hill has approached bringing together the community resources, and more importantly, layering the data on top of it so you can measure the impact of the changes. It's not just subjective, it's tangible, backed up by data. It's pretty phenomenal. And to your point, those are the learnings that we can not only incorporate and build upon as we still continue to navigate our new normal in 2021, but hopefully that starts to become a more permanent aspect of our care models go forward. So that was really exciting to learn about things that they're doing. Another aspect that Dr. Hill touched on was using the data to support these care models with the physicians and with the providers. You know, the COVID and, and the really the, the, sur the initial surge in COVID provided so much pressure on the physicians, so many challenges on the physicians. I mean, for the physician offices, think about it. They were challenged with not only taking care of patients with their current conditions, now you layer on top of all the COVID activities, their ability to, to be able to ensure the trust of the patients, that their offices are clean, that they're taken care of, that put a lot of pressure on physicians. And, you know, as you said in your early remarks, burnout, a lot of the challenges were there with, with physicians even before COVID, and it just made it 10 times more challenging once COVID actually was, was incorporated into how they're actually treating patients. Absolutely, and it became a very real and tangible problem, Dan, especially for providers who were on the front line in the hospital centers or the centers that were, you know, de dealing with the COVID patients. And, um, you know, I remember us talking about how organizations really had to pivot and bring together a focus on how to really deal with and navigate the provider burnout and do it in a way because this pandemic is not going to get over in a month or two. How do we sustain the extra long hours and even the emotional and psychological stress that the providers were feeling as they are being on the front lines. And that brings me to the second episode that was one of my favorite episodes of the year is the one where Doug McKinley joined us and talked about key strategies to deal with provider burnout. I really enjoyed that episode. Yeah, I agree with you. That was one of my favorites of the year as well. And, you know, early on when COVID first hit, the provider community, the physicians, the nurses were really taken for granted in terms mm -hmm. of the psychological effect of treating COVID, um, of the COVID patients. Um, a lot of folks thought that, you know, this is their job. They're just going to be able to accommodate and, and just manage through it. And we didn't quite realize the psychological impact that that really took on our healthcare providers, on our first responders. And I agree with you. I thought Doug did a fantastic job of talking about how physicians could potentially cope with these challenges mm -hmm. and, and even getting to the point where, you know, naming what this is, coming to grips yeah. with how we're providing all of this just to create, to create some strength um, with the provider community. 
in my mind, really went a long way. Yeah, I, I vividly remember the point he made. Unless you name the problem, you cannot own the problem. So really, you know, when you're on the healthcare work with, world, which is very data focused, which is very facts focused, taking a step back and really creating the space to acknowledge the emotional impact, the psychological impact, calling it out that I am feeling anxious, burdened, um, I am feeling overwhelmed, and then you know, introducing some key coping techniques um, to really deal with that. Um, that definitely was one of my favorite episodes of the year. Why don't we listen to some few clips out of Doug's episode where he talks about key strategies on how to cope with the psychological burnout? It's like, who am I? What's my identity really based on? And, you know, there, there's, I would say there's at least three categories of people here, right? Some people just take to this and they, their identity isn't based on their work. It's who they are. And they, they really are just uh, responding masterfully. And then there's another third or a group in there somewhere that are confused. And then I think some are deeply uh, entrenched in neurotic struggling. So I do think that's that identity piece, compensation, all the things that they're their go-to uh, value-based performance things are, as they've been pulled away, it forces them to face themselves. So one of the things that I've said to physicians is we start to, you know, as they start to ramp up and almost define this new normal, you know, one of the things that we've talked with them about is giving them the right info information so they can start to make some of these decisions, almost to have them feel comfortable about the things that they can control and building on from there. Sure. What is what are some of the things that you've done working with physicians to help them, you know, almost get a new grasp on what this new normal, this new future is going to look like? Yeah, that's that's good. I you know, most of the docs I work with know that I'm a clinical psychologist, so they 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 look to me and say, "Okay, go ahead, do your thing." <laughs> and I don't I don't really have any pixie dust, Dan. I think they're just good old-fashioned, you know, tools. And so I I've got a couple that, you know, and kind of preparing for this time, and I thought I'd throw out there that have, I think have been particularly helpful. The first one, I, I think for all of us, including myself, uh, we just, we almost, we need to name this thing. I've heard you guys use the word new normal a couple times already. What does that mean? And what do I call it internally, not externally? And so I think just naming, naming this uh, the time, the season of life is a, pl a way to not be controlled by it, but to step back and be a per, be a spectator of it within ourselves. And so for me, I just renamed the, the great pause button. It's like, it feels to me like the world has just been put on pause and we have a, we have this unique opportunity to reset and, and reflect and listen. And so I'm, I'm spending you know, the, the first part of my conversations with uh, my physician leaders, just asking them, what are you calling this personally? What are you making it? I don't know if that resonates with either of you. Do you guys have something that you've, in your mind, you've uh, you've called this, this season? You know, I, I haven't really. You know, I think that's an interesting point. You know, a lot of around the new normal, you know, I've, I've also been helping uh, physicians think about um, what this this recovery is going to look like post COVID and tying it into that phased recovery. You know, I've been doing that a lot in my own life as well, too, you know, thinking about what the phases of recovery into whatever the future is going to look like. 
Um, for me, it's helped put it into a context that I can control or at least begin to manage. And we've been doing a lot of the same thing for, for physicians, and it has given them at least a sense of comfort that yeah. there's a direction. It's sort of that fear of the unknown, in my mind, has created a lot of concern and obviously a lot of anxiety, as you, you know, called it before, that, that disorganization or, you know, those challenges that the physicians have. Um, the word, you know, Doug, that was a really good question, and I was thinking about it. The word I've been using that emerges for me is reinvent, you know, yeah. reset, reinvent that. And as I think about that from physician perspective, things that were working, the, the way they engaged with the patients and provided care more face-to-face, you know, um, those models have to be shifted right now. So labeling that as reinvent, to your point, Doug, gives you the power and control on what can I change, what do I want to change, how do I get successful in that change, and what do I need to let go. So it becomes more driven by, you know, self-decision versus circumstances driving that. But that's yeah. a really good point. What word do we choose for it? Yeah, great. I love it. Reinvent. New normal. I've been uh, fortunate enough to know you, Dan, for you know many years now, and it's not surprising that you would move into a forward-focused doing. Um, what I'm what I'm inviting, and you're a lot. That's very similar to a lot of physicians. What I'm inviting them to do is to stop and think about the being aspect of this before we do. Uh, if we get that sequence out of order, we can we can accelerate disorientation, and so that's why I like this technique of naming it resetting, reinventing, and then go and do your doing. That was wonderful. And lastly, Dan, the struggle for healthcare organizations to maintain financial solvency and recover the lost revenue, the shift in revenue as a result of COVID pandemic. The pandemic completely changed the payer mix. The decrease in elective surgery and the volume, that had severe impact on the financial bottom line for the hospitals, and they had to pivot very quickly to come up with innovative ways to squeeze out waste expenses, optimize cost, and even get at the table to take another look at their contracts with the pairs. That was also a predominant theme of 2020 and the one we know is going to continue in 2021 as well. Well, COVID definitely increased the financial pressures on healthcare organizations. Um, you know, the many of the hospitals had a operating margin of maybe one, two, three percent before mm-hmm. COVID. And then once COVID hit, and as you mentioned, elective surgeries decreased, revenue dropped considerably, which really led many of the hospitals to operate in the red for this year. So as many of the CFOs are considering their thoughts on how to kind of right side the ship. It really comes down to how do we increase revenues? How do we manage our expenses better? How do we at least get ourselves on the path of improving our margins to the point where in 2021, we're at least going to be positioned for some level of recovery? Absolutely. Dan, do you remember the episode we did with Kathy Nigerian? She talked about some real tangible uh, recommendations on how to pivot and how to work with the pairs to optimize the framework of your contracts and really focus on the financial recovery for the healthcare organizations as they continue to navigate the new normal. 
Yeah, you know, you had mentioned early on that we all had to pivot and even mm -hmm. here at Lumina, we had to pivot. One of the things that we identified early on was that hospitals would really benefit or CFOs really needed to benefit from what other organizations, other CFOs were doing around the country. So one of the things, if you recall, that we put in place was our masterclass of our financial recovery program, um, which really, it was a five-part series, which really talked about how organizations could potentially recover some of their lost revenue by negotiating with the payers, um, mm -hmm. where to begin reducing costs, what we need to think about is we need to start to align with different partners to improve our operating margins. And you're absolutely right. Kathy in that episode did a really nice job providing some tips. Yeah. Well, let's listen to a short clip out of that episode where Kathy talks about some key strategies for healthcare organizations. Kathy, talk a little bit about what you see right now um, related to the impact of, of COVID-19 on these hospitals. As we mentioned, elective surgeries dropped considerably, placed tremendous amount of economic pressure on these hospitals. What are you seeing right now? What are you hearing from a lot of the providers? Yes, I have been watching this unfold very closely since uh, the middle of March and you know, kind of immediately when I saw that all elective surgeries, ambulatory visits were gonna have to be canceled. I knew this was gonna be very devastating to hospitals and physicians. Those of us in the commercial managed care contracting world, the way we build up reimbursement for our hospitals and doctors, a significant portion of the margins is tied to these elective surgeries that had to all be canceled. You don't make a lot of dollars on your inpatient medical cases, certainly not cases that are severe, such as COVID in your ICU. So the devastation of hospitals and doctors cannot be go unsaid. Um, so that's really what I was looking to do early on in the crisis, as, as Shelley said, the clinicians, the doctors, the nurses were the healthcare heroes out there helping the patients. Um, my goal really working with our team here at Lumina is to find a way to help the financial leaders, the managed care leaders, help them infuse their revenues, as you said. Um, so that's you know really the goal of what we're looking to do. So as we start to look at the way the reimbursement structure has occurred, you know, again, the government, I think, has done a nice job of infusing cash. The commercial carriers really haven't, haven't done too much. Why do you think now's the time? Why do you think some of these, you know, CFOs or, or some of the vice presidents of managed care, why do you think they're going to be able to get out and really negotiate with some of these carriers to infuse some cash? Yeah, I think the momentum is obviously, the coin is healthcare heroes. I think um, talking to my colleagues on the payer side, they see the devastation. They understand that certain hospitals, independent physician groups could go out of business. Um, you know, the headlines are hospital margins plummet, margins sink below 100%. The financial ratings moves hospitals to negative. Interesting, the financial ratings give health insurance the outlook of stable. I mean, this line really hits home. Large health insurers appear to be immune to COVID-19. So the payers understand they're really the only ones outside of the government in a position to help providers. So I think they want to help, but they're not going to do anything for free. There's got to be creative win-win solutions. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's such an important part of refocusing the economic structure of some of these hospitals. But I can't help but wonder, you know, as I'm talking to some of the CFOs, they really feel like they're in a disadvantage with many of these payers. They feel like they they don't have much leverage to begin to negotiate. 
What are a couple of things or some of the advice that you would give to some of the CFOs or the vice presidents of managed care for them to really negotiate with some of these payers? What can they do? Yeah, I think the key thing is leveraging your existing relationships and having collegial friendly relationships is more important than ever. And doing that outreach, you know, being honest with the payers. The first thing I told all my CFOs is get your financial model projections together be transparent to the payers. Let them see how much you are bleeding. Let them see what has happened with your dollars and let them know what that delta is. Is that $40 million? Is it $160 million? Maybe go to each payer and say, what can you do to help me with a fair share? You know, the, the first thing I did quickly was elective surgery volume with payer A. I've lost $45 million over the last five months what can you do to help me get those dollars back in my organization? So just starting like that, is there quality incentives in your contracts where you can bring those due early? We have a track record of hitting 85% on our incentives. That equals $2 million. Can we get those dollars sooner than later? I agree. I think the more the CFOs can be really focused on what the ask is, not ask for anything too big, but not ask for anything too small, but really to, to be very focused on what they need to cover. And especially over the last three months, you know, as you start to see shifts inside a service, reduction in some of the reimbursement for the commercial carriers, if they can go to the carriers and say, hey, we need some type of uh, increased reimbursement for this three month period in order to make us whole, in order to really you know, ensure the economic viability of our organization, in my mind, that becomes critical to their success. Yes, I think that's very doable. Uh, I, you know, I think another area is you're having to move care to different sites. The main, if you're a system, your main tertiary hospital is the one inundated with the COVID patients. You're trying to isolate them. You're moving other patients to other settings of care, outpatient, community hospitals, ASCs. The reimbursement structure from the payers is typically lower in those other settings. So another easy win between the payer and provider is to say, will pay me hospital A, tertiary hospitals rates in this community hospital setting for the next 90 days so that, again, I can even out the reimbursement that I lost. How about for some of those provider organizations that are in some value-based care contracts? Do you think there's an opportunity to maybe accelerate some of the the payments around some of this value-based care, you know, performance activities? Is there anything that you believe the providers can do to help accelerate, you know, some of that performance-based reimbursement? Yes, I think anything that is more pay for performance-based where it's very specific quality efficiency outcome measures where you have a past history and a track record, I think there's opportunities there to do a pulse check to say, how are we doing so far during our performance period? Let's average maybe how we did the last five years in the performance period and infuse us an upfront payment that maybe down the road we can reconcile next year if we didn't actually earn at those levels. I think the harder part is anything that's more of a shared saving, shared risk, where it's based on a cost target. It's very hard to do that kind of midstream. But I think what it really does is open up the potential for a renegotiation of those risk terms because your cost targets, everything is going to be off. Nobody would have planned for this. You have volumes that went up, you have volumes that went down, different costs. So I think what this really does is open up an opportunity for payers and providers to relook at any value-based care arrangements, see how they be, need to be renegotiated, or exciting opportunity for organizations who really haven't gotten into value-based care 
now's a really good time to start having those dialogues because it really can create the right future environment, more budgeted cash flows coming in if you can get some PMPM, PM, care management fees, those types of things. That was great, Shelly. You know, as we move into 2021, we are definitely going to see an increase in the level of contracts and, and renegotiating of contracts, as, as Kathy had mentioned. But also, too, there's going to be a big push into value-based care and different types of contracts that are going to help support revenue streams around value-based care. If COVID did anything, it exposed a lot of the limitations in fee-for-service reimbursement. And one of the things I particularly enjoyed about what Kathy highlighted was really the need for these organizations to think about how they need to position themselves for value-based care reimbursement. That in and of itself is really gonna provide some long-term sustainable revenue and opportunities for them to increase their overall margins. Absolutely, there was some great content in that podcast episode by Kathy. And there is also a great deal of thought leadership, um, articles, blogs available on our website, www.luminahp.com, specifically on the financial recovery for healthcare institutions. We also have several blogs on tips on contracting with the payers in the new normal, how to effectively use telehealth technology and get paid for it and dealing with provider burnout. Check out our website for more information. We wanna thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners through this year. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry is going through. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Join us again next year in 2021, wherein we continue our deep dive into what lies ahead in in-life conversations with several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we collectively navigate this new normal. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.